24 seven um, uh, travel assistant team. So it's a hybrid solution between technology uh, and a service. Thomas. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is Thomas. Um, I'm the founder and co-founder and the CEO of, uh, of Aproplan. Um, Aproplan is a platform that helps basically the construction sector uh, digitize uh, their on-site processes. So bottom line, we have an application that they use on their iPad and with whom they are basically replacing pen and paper. Um, we started in 2012, uh, about 60 people right now. And um, with a yeah, target to grow and double basically every year. And you are in Brussels? Yes, Brussels, Belgium, rainy Belgium. Yeah, well, welcome. Well, we got thunderstorms here in Texas, so <laughs> I, I get it. Kay Ingo, welcome. Yes, hi, Randy. Um, yes, I'm calling in from sunny Freiburg on the south of Germany here. I'm the CEO of Jedox, um, joined the company a few years ago. We're quite established since quite some time, already since 16 years, um, and have accelerated more or less over the last few years. Um, uh, we are approximately 200 people, I never know exactly, external and internal, you know, including our external developers. Uh, we, we are focused on the performance management space, so we help companies to do budgeting, to plan, and to do forecasting with software, you know, companies like IKEA, Siemens, ServiceMaster, Pfizer, to name a few, or the Ministry of um, Finance in Israel um, is also doing their state budget with JADOX technology. So we've been quite stagnant for a while, and now we've accelerated um, internationally and looking forward to share some of the thinking. Well, welcome. Thank you. James. Hi, my name is um, James Isley. I'm um, CEO and founder of a company called Cognizant. Um, Cognizant helps uh, businesses to find their next best business opportunity. So we provide contacts level data uh, globally and, and we provide like two sets of tools. Uh, one, set, one tool, Prospector, which helps Companies build lists of people to outreach to. Um, you know, they can segment by technology, um, job title, um, company type. And then we, pro we provide an engagement platform to help them get a higher kind of response rate so they can book more meetings from that um, set of contacts. So, you know, can, they can email them, phone them, um, connect them on social. And then we also provide a technology that embeds inside of um, Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics that helps to really keep the, those, that contact data clean, refreshed, and up-to-date inside of those systems. Um, we really started in 2016 before I was a computer engineer and a, an alg algorithmic trader. Uh, now we're about 30 people, and currently we're, we're growing about 20% monthly. Um, so we're growing extremely fast at the moment. We're currently at 30, 30 people globally. We, our main headquarters are in London, and um, our tech um, center is really is Macedonia. And so we have a lot of our engineers there and uh, a little bit in Croatia. Thank you. Welcome, Mark. Hi, uh, Mark Sorens. I'm the founder of Winnow. At Winnow, we build technology to help kitchens better understand and prevent food waste. Uh, so we work with large commercial kitchens everywhere from Ikea to Carnival Cruise Lines, Compass Group, Accor Hotels, to name a few. Um, started in 2013, uh, just coming up on our five-year anniversary. Um, last year grew about 150% year on year. Right now we have about 70 employees globally. Uh, we have offices in London, Singapore, uh, Shanghai, and Dubai, uh, and just opening up in the U.S. at the moment. 
Well, thank you and welcome, welcome to all of you. I want to get the I want to get the conversation started uh, with a statement, and then feel free to challenge this uh, as as kind of some what retired CEO myself. We manage the work and we lead the people. And as you guys have scaled up and as you've experienced the growth in your companies, I'm wondering what have been your biggest challenges in each of those aspects of both managing the work and leading the people as you have scaled up. Uh, And I'm thinking, for instance, as you guys, especially you guys who were founders and as the company started, it's, it's pretty common for CEOs to be quite involved in the work as we begin. But at some point we get a little bit further removed from, from the actual work itself and, and much more into the leadership role and the strategy role. Uh, Mark, let me start with you. Care to chime in? Sure. Yeah. Um, like I remember uh, starting Winnow when it was literally just me. Um, sort of working, working part-time and, and then uh, pretty quickly decided to make the, the jump to full-time. If I remember sort of back to the early days, um, you know, nothing really moved forward um, unless I was intimately involved in it. Uh, and that was both invigorating, um, but I think some of the hardest times of being an entrepreneur, both in terms of just moving the business forward and even emotionally kind of just getting things done as your business model was a little bit less certain. Um, you know, as we've begun to scale, what's really important for me is making sure that I have people that I can trust uh, and people that I can set the vision with. Um, you know, now I'm in a place where um, I've got, a, I've still got about 11 direct reports, which I would say is a, is, is a lot at, at the moment, um, managing people across, you know, pretty much across the world. Um, but what's required for me to be able to make that continue to scale is, is I think it's about, um you know, really setting the right level of support for, for your leadership and entrusting them to be able to drive things, uh, being the person that is really challenging where the organization should go and kind of asking the tough questions, are we headed in the right direction, but expecting the rest of the team to deliver. Um, but I think the other thing that's really fundamental in this is just culture, right? Um, actually having a culture that binds everybody together, that gives everybody, um, you know, the, the sort of set of, of, of rules and contracts between everyone in the organization on how people are going to make decisions when no one else is in the room is really how you help enable that. And I think that's critical. Other guys, feel free to just chime in. Yeah, I mean, I think the culture point is, is, is crucial. And the kind of mistakes that many companies do, and we definitely did in the beginning, is, is to think that we can hire for talent and then train culture mm. uh, when the person joins. And reality shows that, shows that it's not the case. Um, so culture is you know, what you bring uh, as a package you know, when, you, when you join a company based on your education, based on you know, who you are as a person, with, based on where you worked before. Um, and I found it very difficult, especially in a high, you know, kind of exponentially uh, fast, you know, fast-growing startups, uh, take the time and train culture. And I'm not sure if it's even possible. And it's not judgment of bad culture or a good culture. It's just, is there a fit between what we are looking for mm-hmm. and what you can bring as an individual? Uh, and for us, this was the biggest, one of the biggest learning points scaling up. We have a, a bit more than 100 people now in the company, um, all based in Barcelona, which helps. Uh, so we don't have to manage the complexity of, of uh, multiple geographies like some of my colleagues here. Um, but yeah, hiring for culture was, was one of the biggest learning points that, that we had as we scaled 
because it's everywhere. And this is exactly uh, what kind of makes and breaks the decision process when you're not in the room. Yeah, Avi did when as a co-founder. So at the beginning, you getting your hands dirty, you, you having your hands actually on the work. And over time, you having to acquiesce that challenges to that. And that really is at the heart. And yeah, and I appreciate the, the conversation of culture and communication. And I want to jump on that. I want to jump on that and, and take a deep dive with all of you next. But I'm wondering now, especially for those founders and those CEOs that are, that are in our audience, or those people that aspire to that, the migration that you have to make, as a, especially as a founder or co-founder, of being very involved in the work, whatever that may be for each of you, and then having to, to push further away from that and, and to Mark's point, trusting, trusting other people with that work. What was that like for you, Avi? Yeah. So, um, maybe I'm lucky because, uh, so, so my part, uh, when we started was, was writing code and, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty lousy developer. So, uh, so finding, you know, great <laughs> developers to replace me was actually, re, you know, relieving, like it was relieved in, in a way that, you know, the product was actually be, being built in the right way. Uh, but seriously, I think, yes, it's challenging, especially the trust uh, angle, because uh, how do you trust your, what feels like your baby early days, um, you know, at the hands of somebody else that you, you just met like a couple of months ago? Um, and, and putting yourself in the, in the middle of discussion is actually blocking many of the, of the discussions because people take your opinion as the absolute truth and you have to actually separate yourself from that and let them uh, take the decisions and, and probably, you know, sometimes make mistakes, but, but that's how kind of you, you calibrate and learn. So I think the biggest challenge is trusting that, that the quality will be good. And my way to do it was hiring people that I, I saw that their skill set was way better than mine. Uh, and then just sitting back and, and forcing myself not to participate in the discussions, at least not actively. Thomas? Yeah, I'd say there are three stages, at least to the point where I am now. The first one is where, as a founder, you do almost everything, where um, also the things you're bad at. And I think that's where, uh, like I said, like you can hire them. Some people are better than you at some of the things. Um, and then you only do the things you're really good at. And where I'm now, it's, it's more like now we, I need to find people who replace me at the things that I, I think I'm good at. And, and that's, that's the hard part. It's like letting go of the things that not only are you good at, but also you enjoy doing um, because that's the only thing that skills. Having not only one person, but maybe two or three people who, who are um, better than you even to, to do some of these things is, is it's hard because suddenly you you feel guilty uh, at least at some point that you feel guilty because you're not doing anything anymore you're just kind of uh, orchestrating and and that's not delivering value or not no perceived value but the people need it and 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 that's hard that's my learning curve for last few months and the next coming months i think yeah well to discount your to discount the role that you serve in serving the employees which is fundamentally our job as CEOs, right? James? Yeah, um, for me, I guess um, I guess one of the key learnings that I had last year and going into this year was really, you know, I made, um, I guess, some classical uh, mistakes of hiring like very experienced hires versus, um, you know, uh, I guess like younger, le yes, less experienced hires. Um, and usually in a startup, you don't have like too much choice, right, in terms of, 
the you know the, the amount of money that you have to hire experienced hires. And what we found um, is just that you know finding people with a lot of energy that, that work hard, that are dedicated to the company, you know that paid off a lot more than the the experienced hires that came in with a kind of especially corporate culture. Uh, they were kind of a lot slower paced than the the younger hires that we had. Um, and when I, you know, we sat down and then mapped out process with, with those hires, then, you know, that's been where we've seen, you know, um, leaps in terms of our growth and in terms of, um, you know, how we scaled, it's really been hiring lots of young people with lots of energy, mapping out clear processes with them, and then, you know, allowing their input when we learn mistakes to just, you know, and that, and that, that's really helped us to scale and grow. Um, I think that, bringing in younger people and then giving them um you know empowering them that, that creates a great culture in the company naturally and it also um you know creates a lot of energy and momentum that's give us give us give us some context james of of headcount headcount scale up over a certain period of time i mean i think we were Just around uh, yeah uh, maybe towards the end of last year we were like 10 in uh in december and then now we're about 30 people so we've grown very rapidly in yeah. the last six months and most of those hires were, were around january february time and, and most of them were graduates um so my, my investors i've got an amazing one of one of the amazing investors we've got is, is called tom james who's scaled and sold his own company and he was really pushing us to hire as young as possible um because he he really had seen uh, time and time again at startups that hiring graduates and bringing them into key roles and just empowering them works works out very a lot better than hiring very experienced people um and so we've got experienced people as advisors and that's helping a lot um but to actually get the work done and to get you know the to-do lists done then throwing graduates to those to-do lists works a lot better than throwing um you know generally um very experienced people at those to-do lists um that's that's what we found and then you have the experienced advisors that really help guide that process and have known and have scaled companies before and help you know map out those processes and that you know we've got an amazing one amazing advisor called nick keating who'd, who'd scaled a company called maximizer and and helped um uh, you know sell that to um oracle and that advice has been critical in our and and you know since he's come on board since october to help like flesh out those processes for us um and and you know that that you know that the mix of those two has been a really powerful combination for us yeah trusted advisors are uh, are always a good thing Kay ingo yeah I, i'm a little different i joined as a ceo um and was not the founder so i took over from a founder who has been more developer dna and we wanted to transform to a more business development dna so I think, you know, like all, you know, like James and the others, um, recruitment, growing the right talent is critical. And I completely concur with uh, energy and passion versus experience, you know, as a trade-off. Um, uh, on the other hand side, we also had a big challenge because we grew so much internationally. We had to drive a 24-7 approach around the world while building teams in Singapore, in Australia, in Boston, etc. Um, it was really more critical for us to get to English first, for example, you know, we're a German company. So having a language, a lingua franca was critical, which everybody can understand. Um, secondly, you know, standardization and repetition. 
um, because, you know, bringing in people, you know, new people in Boston, you know, they have to learn very, very quickly while not being in a headquarter. So making sure we have best practice sharing collaboration platforms, which, you know, um, everybody can align around and participate and contribute without being top down was absolutely important for um, accelerating also the knowledge within the organization um, while not everybody is physically together. And, um, you know, last but not least, we did a lot of changes in the company. You know, we have history, so we didn't start a SaaS-only business. We come from a perpetual world, so we are in a big transition mode. And at that time, you also had to manage scale on the one hand side, but also, you know, the bottom line on the other hand side in making sure the investors are right. And while we are also bringing in, I would say, um, the right amount of customers with the right, I would say, um, uh, cash flow. Um, so it was it was uh, that balance which we we had to make work, and this is very different if you have a culture where everybody's very flexible and doing things the way they are used to it, and now you have to say, okay, these are some standards which we're applying, these are some processes which we're applying, so that you can universally scale, which was very difficult also from a cultural perspective for the company, and for people who have been here from the start. So getting that all together is, I would say, a continuous, um, uh, um, you know, challenge and, and motivation uh, at the same time. And you've been the CEO there how long? Three and a half years now. Well, then let me begin with you. So because culture and communication in all of our shows, and it doesn't matter if we're talking to developers, if we're talking to HR people, if we're talking to marketing and salespeople, it comes up show after show after show. And it seems to be kind of the elephant in the room for companies that are, are accelerating growth, want to accelerate growth, want to scale up culture and communication. And they're almost always tied together for obvious reasons. So let me begin with you, you know, Okay, how has culture and communication changed? Let's just take your tenure there as CEO in the, in the last three and a half years, especially since you are, and not everybody here is, is, is leading a virtual team or at least some aspect of the team that is virtual, that isn't right there where you are. I mean, what are, and, and I'm, I'm specifically going to be interested in some leadership team structures that you have found that work better for you than others, maybe team size and, and how you have, how you've even hired or directed hiring for culture as opposed to just skill. I don't know. Just what are your yeah, experiences? It's kind of, it's, you make, you have great experiences. You have not so great experiences, right? You know, to come to James, I mean, we hire, we have great experienced people who are enrolled for quite a long time and and uh, who are very experienced which we um, you know want to keep maintain grow at the same time while they you know bring their experience also to others so I think a mixture between experience and passion energy I would say youth is the wrong word because you know you can be 50 and be passionate and energetic or you can be I don't know the other way around and be a very young person so it's a more it's more about the mixture of people you bring into play and it's a, a good balance of um, you know experience and and and, uh, and passion Do have you had any have you had any challenges of legacy people people who have been there for a long long time and you know, they're, they're kind of entrenched and then newcomers come on board. Have, have you had any disruption of your culture? 
Oh yes, because of old regime mindset. Yeah, I mean that's if you come into a company which is already uh, 12, 13 years old, right? Um, you have a legacy, and that legacy is a strong legacy. Let's say at the same time, still you want to grow and accelerate, and that might not be the culture, right? That you know, driving for massive growth and massive acceleration. At the same time, there is a reason for the longevity of the company, so you want right. to make sure you respect that and you you transform while you bring in new people, right? And so you can get the exposure and experience across. It's not easy. It's a continuous balance and it all starts with the leadership um, so I think the 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 key people within the organization which represent the cultures are on the key leadership or uh, teams so making sure you know you have that um, collaborative and a passionate approach where everybody's repeating strategy also strategy is key right um, culture eats strategy for breakfast but without strategy right you don't really know where where you're heading to and you want to maintain and make sure you're also as a as you're repetitive in the processes etc that you're repetitive in the strategy and the continuation of outlining it because there are always continuously new people coming and joining which are not naturally exposed to it but you know just the last point to it I, I think it's an important one and you know it's sometimes and that's a little bit you know being a company which is a little longer in the market you might not be digitalized from the start or you might have a lot of mushrooms which have grown making sure you build a very clear rigor platform on IT uh, to enable the teams around the world to collaborate around one structure and infrastructure and platform is absolutely critical for for scaling and and, and growing it James Yes. Um, so, uh, in terms of uh, the, the structures um, for teams, I mean, yeah, what we've really done. I mean, our sales team's grown the fastest of all the teams, um, and so really, it's just been about as we scaled, giving, um, promoting people very quickly, giving responsibility, and kind of making sure that um, you know the the main manager, that our VP of sales, is doing a fantastic job, that she doesn't have too many direct reports, and that we just. Um, very you know very rapidly give out responsibility to help the team scale and then you know set very specific metrics that people have to deliver and then really hold them to those metrics and that's something that I'm a huge believer in across the whole company and across the board is really assigning metrics for key leaders to deliver and then kind of dissecting those metrics down to their reports and then empowering people through metrics so that's kind of one of my key approaches. A typical in your company, a typical a typical team or a typical leader is going to have how many direct reports? Um, right now, I'd say like we're, we're trying to keep it to a maximum of around like five direct reports at the moment. I've got more than that at the moment. But um, yeah, that's kind of like where we're trying to keep it. Mark, and you've got 11 direct reports. I'm curious if, if you've got any plans to work on that. It's a lot yeah, of direct I mean, I, reports. I, I do plan to work on that, right? Um, but I but I also think that, um, you know, it sort of depends on when you think about sort of the span of, of reports you have, sort of what the complexity is. Managing high complexity, you need to manage fewer people. When it's sort of less complexity, you can, you can obviously manage more people with that. Look, this is something for me that's sort of a transition for where we are today. You know, to kind of go back to the culture question, for me on a hiring standpoint, I will not um, hire someone if they're if they're if they're not a culture fit. I've actually turned down some pretty amazing people um, 
that just are, are joining the business for the wrong reasons, or it's quite clear they won't be a cultural fit. And to me, that's a no-go. Um, you know, we, we won't do that. Um, when I think about kind of how we, um, you know, communicate that culture and kind of keep the strategy straight across the organization, what I'm doing more and more today is, is actually making sure that I'm keeping people on the same on the same vision for where the organization is, doing a lot more communication across across the you know the team field to make that happen. Um, but fundamentally, you know, and this sort of goes back to the first question, which is you know what has changed for me as well over time is I I actually reinvent my role I think about every six months, and um, if I'm not doing that, then I'm kind of asking myself how I'm if you know if I'm stuck in that role, then I haven't found someone that can take that and drive that forward, so that I can focus on the next big problem we have. Um, and my and my job is always to be out, you know, two steps ahead of where the organization needs to be. Uh, and so, why do I have a lot of reports right now where we're expanding internationally very quickly? Um, we've just raised this thing if we're going to capital. So we're making some new investments in product. And so I've got to keep my hand close on that. And within six months time, I hope to dramatically scale that back down um, so that I have better control over the day and, fo- and, and figure out what, what we've got to focus on next. Help us better understand. So when you say people that aren't a cultural fit, so what, what, what does that mean at your company? Look at Winnow, we have a, um, uh, a set of values that are one, a passion for food. Um, and, uh, we're very much business. I mean, we're a, we're a sustainability company, but, but, but don't get us wrong. We're all about, you know, dollars and cents to our, to our clients. Um, but on top of that, you know, we have a, we have a, va- we have a value of sort of radical transparency and humility. And those two are important for me because one with transparency, um, everybody knows where everybody else stands and there's no, there's no politics, right? You don't create a, you know, political organizations, they happen by a culture in an organization that is that 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 doesn't that doesn't actively fight against that issue. So if you want to prevent politics in your organization, what I believe you do is you proactively on a daily basis work to to stomp it out. And that is everything from when people come and ask for special treatments. You don't give that. You are fair and transparent on why you make those decisions that you do. That when mistakes are made, it's clear that it's happened. No one's at fault, but we learn from it and we move on. You have a hierarchy of ideas. Um, And also for me, going back to this area of sort of humility, if people come in and think that they're absolutely everything, well, those people aren't team players. And those people aren't willing to learn from their mistakes. And I'd much rather have people that are, um, you know, have a good social contract with each other that are all playing on the same team and doing so in a humble way, doing, doing, doing it in an excellent way, but doing it in a humble way so that you can really build an organization that can scale. Have you found, and before I move on, have you found any particular team size? Have you found some cadence that you guys have kind of fallen somewhat in love with because you found it effective as far as a team size or anything of that sort? No, I don't think any individual team has sort of an idea. I mean, look, in a in a development context, there's an ideal team size to run a sprint, right? Um, but I think this will depend on geography. I think it will depend on function. You know, there's classic numbers that as you scale past 20, you know, everyone's no longer talking to you on a daily basis. So you have to more actively communicate across the organization what's happening. As we start to reach you know, a hundred, then 
it's almost impossible for everyone to know everybody's first name. And so you have to do more work to invest in those elements. So there are, there are those aspects as you scale. Um, but for us, I don't look across and say, there's a team of five working on a problem that's really the sweet spot. Um, it's, it, it's more about what's fit for purpose for the problem. No one size fits all. Yep. Yeah, I get it. Thomas? Well, I think like everybody, we we had some uh, some mistakes, and 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 culture is the one we, as as the other said, is the one that comes first. Um, and then we'd say um, eagerness and, and and talent and experience. We we had a whole um, yeah, we had back and forth. Like uh, six or nine months ago, I would have said the same as James. We had a lot of young people, and we were very happy with with their. Um, their enthusiasm and, 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 and everything they brought to the company. Uh, but nowadays we realize you also need a bit of seniority in order to avoid um, making twice or three times or four times the same mistakes. It's not that the younger people will not get there. It's just that it will take them maybe two or three iterations. And so nowadays we are actually looking actively at keeping a right balance between um, young, very enthusiastic people and also some I would say people who have done it once or twice, and especially the ones who have failed a lot. Um, so we have a lot of people who have been in startups or scale-ups that, that have gone, gone broke and seen yeah, what, what happens there. Um, and that's helping us. But, um, but culture, yeah, is, is the main, is, is one of the main, um, yeah, the, kind of a yeah, main criteria. How, how, would, how would you define your culture? Help us understand your culture. Um, so we are in the construction sector or actually uh, trying to help the construction sector getting digital. So one of the main thing is very, very customer centric in all departments because we need to learn them adopt technology. So that's one of the first parts. And well, we are a scale up, so we want to grow and, and, and grow fast. So um, having eager people who are very good at communication are things we are, we are very actively looking at. And then we are investing a lot of time in trying to bring down our initial reasons why we went there, why we, we, we stick to the sector, why we love it um, to everybody. So we try to make sure that everybody knows the story and the journey we went through and, and, and making sure everybody's aligned. We, we actually, yeah, like I think some, some people here try to, to use um, yeah, an A4 where the main targets are and, and, and try to bring that down. Avi? Before you answer, you got to show your T-shirt off. My travel pair T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're gonna let you hop. Wear it all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, th I think um, the communication point is is super interesting and something that uh, I realized um, that we had to change was, you know, going from you know a team of ten to a team of, of fifty to a team of, of a bit more than a hundred now. I find that we need to be a way more uh, planned in how we communicate to, our, to the team and make sure that everybody's on the same page uh, when you do so. So, for example, we do every, every Friday, we do end of the week meeting uh, all hands. So everybody's joining either um, physically or remotely if they're not in the office. Um, very few exceptions, you know, unless you're know, like in holiday or stuff like that, but mostly everybody joins. And then... I cannot assume that people know, you know, everybody knows exactly where everybody is. Uh, so we have to start from, from the same um, baseline and then kind of build on top of that. 
and be very clear and very, very concise in, um, in the points that we want to deliver because if you have 15 points that you want to deliver in, in, within you know, the range of an hour and everybody is also drinking beers, so the attention span you know, declines as, as, as uh, the hour gets, uh, gets to, uh, to its end. So very concise messages. Make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, don't elaborate too much and go, don't go to too many details. We, we have room for that, but that's, that's not the right format. Um, and be very transparent, like one of my colleagues here uh, mentioned. Transparency, I think, builds a lot of trust and also creates an environment that people feel that they can participate. So uh, planned communication, um, knowing what we need to update the team on uh, once a week at least, and then having everybody in the same room. And that's also why we don't, don't do remote. So I know that a lot of companies manage to do remote uh, well. We are concerned about it because of that, because of the communication issue. And, and can we really keep everybody on the same page if we're not in the same room? Once a week, at least. So that's something that was very, you know, very important for us as we scale the size of the team. Can I'm I can gonna, throw up on one? Yeah, point. go ahead. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things that was really critical for us, I think, was a, a huge contribution throughout. You know, when we were from when we were very small to you know now, um, oh, we're still quite small, but um, we did it. You know, one of our um, our head of customer success, Chris, brought in the idea of um, a daily stand-up. Um, we have like a remote team, um, and you know, initially it was everybody in the company on the daily stand-up, where we just go through, you know, what we're doing at the moment. Um, mainly the focus being on the issues, the critical issues we had, and that really helped coordinate. And then we, one point um, as we grew bigger, we kind of dropped it, but then we, it was like a week or two weeks, we quickly picked it back up again. And then we put all the, just the senior people, the senior team members on, on that call. And then kind of, critical new functions like the product manager um, and the business strategy on it. And it's just made such a big difference to have that every day and have that level of communication and, and focus and just picking up on issues that could just slip by. I think that's been a huge element of our kind of um, success and growth. Yeah, no, and thank you. Um, let me, let me end and, and we'll just, we can, we can make this relatively brief and I'll start with you, Avi. Let, let me end on strategy because strategy strategy for us as we're scaling up companies is just, it's well, even as, as we're just operating companies that may not be scaling up, may not even be in, in growth mode is just an ongoing process. It's never finished. I'm wondering how do you vet the opportunities? Because when you're scaling up, it, it can seem like every opportunity may be a good one and they may be, they may all be potentially good ones. So I'm curious as we kind of go down the line, starting with you, Avi, how do you vet those opportunities so that you know which ones to move on? Yeah, sure. So, so I think the strategy every day is, is to, to live to next week, right? So uh, uh, I have to admit, and, and maybe, you know, we got this one wrong. Uh, we didn't think so far away in time. When we just started. We really focused on what we need to do to hit the next milestone, customer-wise, revenue-wise, uh, product, et cetera. Um, and a tool that helped us really um, to vet the ideas and also to keep alignment uh, you know, of the team was uh, using OKR, so objective and key results. It's, it's a tool that is widely used um, in many tech companies, so we didn't, you know, of course, invent it. Uh, and we adopted it really early, so I think we've been using it. So the company has been around for three and a half years, and I think we've been using it for three years. So uh, almost day one, we started using OKRs. And it kind of forces you, because of the, of the framework, to choose between three and five objectives for the next quarter, um, and then having a very strict 
uh, definition of how you measure your success um, with data, with numbers, uh, not just with you know, uh, perceptions. Um, so that's kind of uh, the technical aspect of how we're using it. And the question of how do we choose which um, objective to pursue, we try to think about what will take us, you know, us as a company to the next level and segment it into top line growth because we are in a travel business. So you have uh, transaction volume and then you have revenue out of it, just two you know, separate numbers. So what will take us to the next milestone and it could be you know, fundraise or, or break even or uh, you know, whatever, whatever the milestone is for us. Um, setting up really ambitious goals for the next 18 months, which is you know, pretty far away for us. Um, we started doing so recently, uh, relatively recently. So what is the next milestone in terms of uh, transaction volume, revenue, uh, and then uh, what we call experience or NPS basically, satisfaction of the customers from the product, which is a good indication that we are solving real pain points uh, for, for your customers. And then setting really aggressive goals there, and then working our way backwards from the goal to, to a plan and then all the way to, to a sprint, a weekly sprint with the, probably the anchor is, is the quarter. So the, the OKR at, at the three months uh, resolution. So what's for the next quarter, what are you going to do that will advance us towards this 18 month aggressive goal? Thomas? So, um, yeah, I like, I like the OKR. Um, we're doing more of the, the tactical aspects and, 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 and focusing on, on, on that too. And alignment is, is where, um, so we are going through the OKRs now. So it's very uh, nice to share the experience, Javier. Um, but the, the tactical goals is something we have in place since a few, a couple of years now. And, and that's really helping us align everybody around the same, not only same values and vision, but also yeah, kind of what is the goal all of us need to share and where do we all of us need to go through um, and, and, and how do we all contribute in our daily jobs? Um, I like the expression about the fact that everybody needs to know on a daily basis whether they had a good or a bad day. Um, and, and that's, that's for us. I mean, that's, that's what we'd be focused on. It's very hard. And I think everybody's sharing a similar experience when you grow, because you need to a hire a lot of people and, and, and go through the frustrations and the learnings about how hard it is to, to recruit well and have a decent recruiting process. But in the meantime, you need to focus on the people who are in the company and trying to, to align, continuously align them on, okay, this is the direction we go and, and, and not being bored about repeating all the time, the same messages. I think for me, that's been a challenge is, is um, actually, you're not a CEO, but chief reminder officer on a constant basis, saying over and over and over the same thing, because um, I don't know if it's now five or seven times, people don't believe in what you say until they heard it five or seven times from the same people or the management. And before you're able to reach every single employee five to seven times, it's quite a lot of time you have yourself repeated it. So uh, having the, the weekly um, all hands and things like that have been also been things that we've been doing um, as well as, as yeah, the stand-ups and things like that. Okay, Ingo. Um, yeah, kind of similar notion. I mean, we have a multi-year plan and uh, since quite some time now because we've just, you know, gone through a big investment round um, to make sure that, you know, we are uh, getting the right funding to you know, uh, get there. But, um, you know, to Thomas's point, continuous repetition of, you know, who we are, you know, what we offer, you know, who our customers are, you know, what we want to offer, and and also the path to get there to um, is critical. We have outlined five key priorities for the company since 
more or less two, three years, which we're continuously working on. So everybody really understands. And that goes from R&D development to international expansion on strategic partnerships we want to uh, uh, occur. Um, and continuously managing that around a key KPIs you, you measure progress against and then adjusting them at the same time, right? So <laughs> making sure you understand, you know, what doesn't really matter at, uh, while you're on the way is, is as critical as staying course on the few things you want to diligently manage and um, yeah that's that's um, how things have worked from a meeting and rhythm cadence it's a little harder for us you know to have daily stand-ups with you know in the morning for Asia in the afternoon for for the US and um, and I, I wouldn't say that we we have gone through that you know and having a really good plan and and experience to share it's um we use collaboration tools that's really important for us to make sure it gets across and people can share themselves with this upcoming everything coming top down but you know staying course on the key five things you want to achieve is, is critical and making sure people understand how to get there james I think one of the, I guess, because of the stage we're at and because we're a bit earlier and also, you know, we, you know, I guess last year was a lot about finding product market fit and really getting it right very rapidly. Um, so we, we have like a roadmap and we have a plan, of course, but one of the really essential parts for me is like listening to customers, getting their feedback going on site, visiting customers myself, um, and then getting feedback on what they want for the product and then changing the plan very rapidly to get, um, you know, to, to get the product to uh, very quickly to where the customers wanted it. Um, because that was kind of critical for our, our growth phase. You know, when you're going from that seed to series A stage, you know, you're really trying to, um, you know, just get the product market fit right and then have a product that's really, um, has some element that's better than the competition. Um, we're also in our field, our, our market has been hugely disrupted by the new GDPR legislation. And so we've had to really get that piece of an element right. Um, so that, because we have a product that's directly affected by that. So, you know, that for us, um, reacting to the changes in the market and then listening to customers and feeding that back in furiously into the product development has been, you know, really essential part of our growth from that C to series A stage. Mark, I'm going to give you the last word. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, frankly, I, I, I think that, um, enough's been said, if I will. Um, I, I hate sort of taking the last word on this, but it's something that um, I would just, you know, echo um, what these guys said. I mean, we're, we're now sort of past the place where we are um, focusing on sort of product market fit. I think we've kind of got that right to now thinking about how we, you know, operationally um, scale up sales and kind of get that to be as efficient as possible. And so the way that now we sort of communicate those targets is um, is every every month we have a company wide sharing of our KPIs, um, and everyone in our business knows what our cash position is. Everyone in our business knows what our revenue was last quarter. Everyone in our business knows what deals can be done. And if you're not hitting your KPIs, that's uncomfortable but it requires you to trust your team that that transparency, that openness 
rallies everyone around what's important. And I think that that has been, there's been a couple of times where our business in a quarter didn't go the way we wanted to go. And it was very easy for me to think about, you know, um, sugarcoating what's happening, but you're robbing your team of the ability to actually solve the issue. And when you're a founder of a business that's past 20 to 30 people, um, you know, as everyone on here is, there's, there's no way you're going to do this yourself. So, um, you know, my encouragement to anyone thinking about scaling up the business is I'll just go back to what I said before. Transparency, you know, does a tremendous amount um, and it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Right. Um, but sort of the true test is when you're able to share with everyone where the business is going good or bad and foster a conversation about how you fix that. Um, that's when you really get everyone aligned and that sharing in and of itself helps to move things forward because it aligns people. It gets people to understand where we're going and it gets people to work hard towards what the end outcome is. Very good. And have you, have you been open book management as we say here in the States, as far as sharing all the numbers, is that something that you, you started day one or very early on? Yeah. Day one, day one. Um, It's been, um, you know, and whenever we've raised funding, we've always had a conversation with our, with our, um, with everyone in the business around kind of what we were doing and why we were doing it. Um, and you know, we, it's not, it's not like it's a vote, but it's a conversation about, we're going to go raise this capital. Now we're going to have higher expectations to make that happen. Um, you know, part of that I think is, is, is kind of just a personality, uh, that sort of, I have, and now the, now the organization has part of that is we're a mission driven business. Um, and so we're all focused on solving one problem. And so that kind of simplifies things in reality. No, great. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Gentlemen, uh, we want to, first of all, thank the audience here at Facebook live for watching today's episode. This is episode 11 of scale up heroes, a special thanks to all of these gentlemen our panelists today who are CEOs of their respective companies. We'll put links up to these gentlemen uh, here at our Facebook page, and we encourage our audience to check out their companies. If you are uh, interested in working for any of these gentlemen, uh, you've now got some sense of of who they are and the way they they roll. Uh, Visit our our page if you care to, our website, scaleupacademy.io. You can learn more about us and what we do. And if you find these live shows valuable, then we hope that you will hit that like button and share today's show. I'm your host, Randy Cantrell, and I hope that you'll join us next week. We continue our discussion. And next week, we will bring you a conversation on scaling up marketing. Until then, everybody have a great week. Cheers, bye. Thank you.